Well, good morning. It is really good to see you. Uh, if I've not met you before, my name is John. I'm the pastor here at Center. And uh, I've been traveling for the last couple of weeks, and so it feels really good to be what I would just call home. It feels good to be back with you and see so many faces of people I love, um, and you guys too. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought about that for a while, but no, I'm really glad to be with you specifically uh, this morning. And I traveled somehow over the last couple of weeks through what it felt like the entire Midwest. Have you ever done one of those road trips? Like you just hit so many states. I was went from Michigan to Ohio to New York, back down to Ohio to Kentucky to Indiana, and then finally back to Michigan a couple days ago. And I saw a lot of the same signs. And I know we have these in Michigan, but nowhere near where I live here in Byron Center. Uh, it's one of these signs. You maybe have seen this before. Now, this is a horse and buggy sign, typically indicating that in said area that you're driving in, there's a lot of Amish people. And so my mom and dad and I were take, took a quick trip down to Lexington, Kentucky, and they live in Indiana, so we took the back way, like the back, back way. Like it felt like we were driving through a scene and signs, like there was just so much corn everywhere. It's like you can't even see other cars or who's coming. So we were driving down that lane, and we just kept seeing those signs. So finally we pull off to a rest stop, a, a gas station, and we go inside to get a drink and some other things. And as we're walking into this gas station, I just hear like this pack of people coming behind me. And it didn't take long based on their language, number one, and their accent, number two, that they were all Amish. And I kind of looked behind me. There's about 20 Amish teenage boys walking into this rest stop. And uh, I kind of turn around and try not to gawk as you do with people that are different than you. I try to be more polite than that. So I just... Uh, kind of bumped my mom on the shoulder and she started taking pictures on her phone. Like she was just enamored by this and she listened to me. I was like, mom, that's so rude. And she was like, they're so cute. Like just totally good spirit, but she was just taking pictures of them. And I kind of, we left the rest stop and went on with the rest of our trip. And I started to think about that because there's one common denominator uh, of an Amish person is that they all dress and look very similar. It's a staple of Amish households and tradition that they will dress the same, same suspenders, same black tennis shoes, same facial hair, same haircut, everything. And I flipped it to think about how much of our own culture, how much of my own life is consumed with what I look like and what I'm wearing or where I shop or where I don't shop or where you shop or where you choose not to shop or what brands you like or what companies you wear. And all of that in our American Western culture is about finding who we really are, our true self. I just gotta pursue that. And whether it's uh, through a bunch of personality testing or a bunch of deep conversations with the counselor, I just wanna figure out who am I really? Because clearly there's something not right with me. And I've been a part of that exact same conversation, just this desperate pursuit to find what so many of us would call our true selves. In fact, if you go to Google, which is the, the trusted source for all information, of course, if you go to Google and type in, how do I find my true self? There's over 750 million hits just for that search. I don't know what numbers are like to you. That just feels like a lot. <laughs> it feels like a lot. And the second one I searched was, uh, I'm just curious, like, how do I find my, how do I get a 4.0 GPA that has around 11 million hits, okay? So there's clearly a difference, a discrepancy in what our culture is curious about. We're not as curious about getting 4.0 GPAs, maybe we should be. A lot of us think and are consumed by that idea of how do I find my true self? How do I find who I really am? Who has God created me to be really? 
Like, what does a real me look like? And so many of us, or maybe people we know, or even our culture, would try to figure that out by things like plastic surgery. Like, I'm just going to actually change and reconfigure my, uh, my biology so that I can look like who I really am. Even one of the most difficult topics in our world today, the issue of gender dysphoria, trying to figure out who am I really? And that's trying to get down to the core and who's the real me? Like, what's that true self look like? Or maybe you've spent 20, 30, $40 on personality tests or every time there's one on Facebook, you take it. Like, what kind of fruit are you? And you're like, well, this will help. And you go through and you figure it out. Or what kind of Top Gun character are you? And you go through and you like figure it out. Like, there's just all these different options in our world to figure out who am I really? And, and when you get to the end of that pursuit, apart from Christ, you're just trying to figure that out. Or maybe even as a part of your faith, for most of us, that pursuit leaves us tired. It leaves us exhausted, if we were just honest, because we never feel like we get to the end of it. We never feel like on our own, we can figure out who our true self really is. And it, I've felt confused by it. I'm like, wait, I thought I was this way, or when I was 15, I seemed to be this, and now I'm 25, I seem to be this, or now I'm 28, and I've seen, like, it seems to shift and change. Some of us get narcissistic about it. It's like, well, I'll never change. This is just who I am. And some of the sin and the negative patterns and behaviors in our life are like, well, it's just, it's the real me, I guess. Like, I'm just going to have to live with that. And maybe you, like me, have wrestled with the question, what if my faith, what if my own life purpose wasn't just about me? Like, if I could really determine if that was true or not, that would be incredibly refreshing. I don't know about you. But if, if there was a way to figure out, is my real self just about me or is there something more to it? What if faith today wasn't about me? We've been journeying for the last couple of weeks. If you've been watching online or you've been catching up on our website, you've kind of tracked or you've been here with the first shift we talked about making that helps us discover a faith that lasts, a faith that goes on for a lifetime, a faith that has eternal properties to it. And in week one, we talked about the fact you have to shift from religion to Jesus, that there's a move all of us have to make in which we say, I know this is a ritual and tradition, and maybe there's still some life in it, but really my pursuit is a person, not just a system. Moving from religion to Jesus, second week, last weekend, we talked about moving from independence, self-reliance, I can do this on my own, to full dependence on Christ, to saying, I really can't do life on my own the things he's calling me to, the adventure that his will is, I have to pursue him. And that takes total dependence on him, which everything in our culture says, be independent. And Jesus says, be fully dependent on me. Pursue me, put your life in me. And we talk through John 15 about abiding in Christ, that that's how you produce real spiritual fruit. And today, just a heads up, we're going into one of my very favorite passages of scripture. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is an incredible passage. It's a letter actually written from Paul to a church, a young church plant who's in a culture that is opposite of the way of Jesus they're trying to live out. Ephesians 4, and I want us to start in verse 11. So if you have something to take notes with or a device, I'd encourage you to pull it out because you just don't know what the Holy Spirit may say to you in these next few minutes. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles the pro gave the prof, apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He goes on, then 
will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who's the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. One of the reasons I love Ephesians is that Paul is writing this specific letter in chains. I don't know if you've been to prison or have family members who are in prison. Prison is not a nice place in general. And maybe you're like, yeah, but they look like good food and good accommodations. Like, why don't homeless people just go to prison? Like, I've heard arguments like that. And I'm like, if you've ever actually been to a prison, which I have not spent time in a prison, I've led worship in a prison. Just want to distinguish those two things for you, put you at ease. Uh, But I've been to many prisons and they're, they're bleak places. There's not a lot of hope there. And yet Paul is writing this in chains. Not because he did something wrong or committed a crime, but because he was bent on proclaiming the gospel of Jesus no matter where it took him. And so he presents this gospel and he's writing these letters to different churches in chains. And he's saying, here's the most important things I could tell you because his future is not guaranteed. He's in this Roman prison, but he's sitting there writing these letters and this is what he decides to focus on. I think it's fascinating. If you know your days are numbered, what you say has a lot of importance. And in Ephesians 4, he writes about the church. He writes about contributing, excuse me, to the body of Christ. And in Ephesus, this would have been a difficult, a countercultural message. Because Ephesus was kind of the epicenter of culture, but especially of Greek worship. The goddess Artemis was there. And she wasn't just the goddess of death and of infants, which are weird enough, kind of life and death. That's like basically who we view as God, someone who has the power of life and death. But Artemis was also kind of the the cultural icon for sexual expression, of sexuality, of saying that no matter what you feel, whatever is true to you, you just do it. And so this temple to Artemis would have been essentially a hostile. People would have came from all over the known world to get whatever sex they wanted in whatever form unquestioned. It's a bizarre thing if you go back and read the history of this temple. It's, it's wild. And, and so Paul is writing to a culture in which that's there every day. Now, I don't think there's a place similar to that in Byron Center, but just picture if there was, right? Like it would be difficult when you've got neighbors and friends in your community who's engaging in these kind of practices that are self-indulgent. They're prideful, they bring greed, they bring sexual pleasure. Like there's just a lot of difficult layers to this. And yet Paul is writing to a church. And I think if we could sum up Paul's words in these few verses, it would be this, that I find my true self when I set myself aside. I find who I really am when I serve someone else. I find the depth of life that all of us are craving when I decide that I no longer am the center of my own universe, when other people are. Not just other people that I like, but my enemies, the people who are different than me, the oppressed, the marginalized, the homeless person on 68th Street. When I look at those people as being almost more important than me, now, I think about Philippians 2, Paul writes again, same, uh, similar letter to a group in Philippi. He says, do not consider yourselves. He doesn't say don't consider yourselves a little bit. The scripture literally says in the Greek, don't consider yourself, don't think about yourself. Instead, regard others as being above yourself. 
And it's in that kind of servanthood, in that kind of relationship with God, that you find who you really are. And that is, I don't know about your life, that is very challenging to me. Because everything in our culture says, that's really not true. That's really not that important. Your best self, your best life, that's what you should pursue. And yet Paul is writing in this church that it's actually the opposite. And I'd love to dig in with you just a few verses. And in verse 12, I think we kind of see Paul allude to this. In verse 12, he says, We've, you've been given these gifts to equip his people, talking about Christ's church, for what? Works of service, servanthood, of, of laying your life down. It, you're equipped for works of service so that, which is not just an important word, uh, phrase in the Bible, this is incredibly important in English language. When you're reading something and then it says, so that, you know that everything before it is leading to this climactic point of saying, so that, and this is what Paul writes, so that the body of Christ may be built up. So what he's saying is that if you and I are serving one another, it's actually in that that we grow. If you and I are laying ourselves aside and saying, no, you are more important than me. Your needs are greater than mine, even if mine feel greater right now. If I lay all of those aside, I actually find who I really am. Not only do we find unity, but we become spiritually mature. And in verse 14, the, the kind of key, uh, the key point starts to become unlocked. He says, it's then, when you've experienced maturity, when you've served someone else, when you've found your true self and that, that unity of the faith that is the church, it's then that you won't be tossed around by our culture, that you'll be steadfast, that you can discern truth from lie, that you can discern where is the enemy trying to deceive me and how do I lean into God's truth? You can do all of those things, but it's only if you set yourself aside. It's only if you decide that serving others is more important than just finding who I really am. I love what Craig Goshell's wife said, behind every really good pastor is an even better wife. That's true for me. Uh, but Amy Groeschel wrote this. I just want to read it over you. Uh, I love this quote. We're spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. We're spiritual contributors. Not The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. That gets me fired up. <laughs> I don't know about you. I want that kind of life. I want to be a contributor. I don't want to get to the end of my days and wrap up my retirement season and say, well, I'm glad I consumed I want to say I'm glad I contributed. I'm glad I made a difference. I want you to be able to say that. And I believe Jesus' desire for us as a church is to say that. We are spiritual contributors, not just spiritual consumers. The church does not exist for us. We are the church, and we exist for the world. And when we talk about our vision statement of seeing zero lives unchanged by Jesus Christ, that's exactly what it is. Spiritual contribution, not just to one another so that we're built up, but so that we can serve the world, that we can make a difference that lasts beyond our lifetime. This is never more clear than it was to me yesterday morning. So many of you got to serve with our team at Byron Days, which is like, if you talk about Byron Center, Byron Days Parade is like the big deal. Like there's not a lot of big deals in our small town, but Byron Days is a big deal. There was over a hundred floats and businesses and people involved, like five, 6,000 people kind of lined the streets of 84th and Byron Center just down here. And some of you uh, participated or were there and some of you served with us. And 
You never find this out more than when someone is willing to give up a Saturday morning and sweat their rear off to clean up Tootsie Rolls on a street. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Like I, I was watching so many of you serve so well and I was like, that's it. That's spiritual contribution. That's moving from saying that, that my true self is just kind of this something I dig around inside. My true self is fine when I set myself aside. I, I'm moved by that. I was thinking about that this morning and some of you were helping organize a parade and getting cussed out and letting people be mad at you and, and you were helping serve our community and our township and we heard so many comments after the parade and somewhat during, just incredible. Thank you for doing that. As we're cleaning up trash, thank you guys so much. And I couldn't be more proud as a pastor to see a bunch of people in White Center Church cleaning up nasty Tootsie Rolls from the street than I was yesterday. Like, it's like the most, yeah, it's the most, yeah. It's the most countercultural thing. It doesn't make any sense. Like, who does that kind of thing? Who does that? And they, and they think it's worthwhile. You do. Our church does because we exist for the world. We exist to make a real difference. And this taps into exactly what Jesus was instructing his disciples in Mark 8. They're talking about what is kind of the purpose of life? What's the big deal? And he says, what good is it for a man to gain the entire world? Maybe gain his entire self and lose his soul. And here's the kind of formula he gives. If you want to really follow me, you have to deny yourself. Not find out more about who you are. Not buy another personality test, not get plastic surgery. No, no, what you need is to deny yourself, to take up a cross and to follow me, to obey me, to listen to my words and to act on them. And as you think about your own culture, the pressures that we all feel, our culture pushes against that. And the lie that our culture buys into and that it's so easy for us to slip into. And I confess up front, this has been part of my DNA before. I still have to fight it, is that my personal identity is the most important thing. My brand, what I wear, where I go shopping, whether or not I'm a man's man. Like you could just go through all the stereotypes that we hear. But that's actually a lie. And it's a lie because God did not create you just to be in yourself, to find your true self and to kind of exist and live out of that. No, he exists, he built you and created you so that you would exist for the good of others. And it's in serving other people that you find who you really are. Your gifts are illuminated. Your joy is kind of full. You may be physically tired, but spiritually you're energized. Your, your joints may hurt a little bit, but you remember why you were put on this earth. And I think it's so incredible to watch that play out. And maybe another way to put it is when we think about our faith, often many of us identify with the fact that it feels a little bit fragile. Our faith sometimes feels a little bit like at any moment it could break apart. And when your faith is built around your personal identity, that's true. Because in one moment, you're ugly, destroyed. You're not worth anything, destroyed. You don't really have anything to contribute, destroyed. But if your faith is built upon serving other people, about setting your own needs aside and, and lifting other people up, it won't be fragile. It'll be a lot more like a good plastic cup. It's practical, it's useful. Uh, I've shared this story with some of you prior to today, but uh, Thanksgiving every year, my family kind of converges at my parents' house. My mom is from deep in the South. She's from like Southern Mississippi. 
And uh, for her, those events are really big deals. Like big meals are, uh, they're just a big deal in our household. And so every time Thanksgiving rolls around, you can basically project what it's gonna be like because we'll get there and all the food is already being made. It's like Tuesday the week before. <laughs> She's like, I made some banana bread. It's like not even Thanksgiving yet. And she's just cooking up all these. That's how she really sounds, by the way. If you know her, that's not a, I'm not making fun of her. That's true. And, uh, and so she, she bakes, she's getting all of these things ready. And then Thanksgiving comes and you can almost hear it. Like you wake up and you hear my mom open this cabinet. It's got all the fine china in it. It's got the nicest glasses, the best plates, the, the nicest utensils that get used literally like once or twice a year. And she starts to bring those out. And I think a lot of times we think about our faith like it should be that. I, I should have that kind of fine china, really nice, pristine glass. That's the kind of faith God's after. But I have been the victim of dropping said glass on my parents' kitchen floor and watching it shatter everywhere. That's no good to you then. But there's a couple cups in my mom's drawer that every time I go home that I use. They're plastic and then we've had them for like 25 years. You could run a truck over them and they'd probably still pop right back into their formation. Like that's kind of, but I think faith is supposed to be a little bit more like that plastic cup than it is a fine china glass. It should be built around things that last, things that really will go the distance. You can use them every day. Not a faith that in times just of crisis or great times that you pull out off the shelf and use, but a faith that's practical, it's real, it's every day. It, it interacts with everybody in your life. It's normal, it's, it's a part of who you are. And it's not your true self that will help you find that. It's when you learn to set yourself aside by serving someone else. You may say, okay, I, I, I buy, I buy it, I'm, I'm in. How, how do I do this? Like if I had to take a next step, what would it be? I think it's really simple. And if you're taking notes, just write this down so you can reflect later on the week. But think about the question, what am I good at? What has God wired me to be good at? And if you don't know, ask a spouse or a trusted friend or maybe an employer or a friend at work, just ask, what am I good at? And it may not be something that feels super spiritual. It may not be prophecy or evangelism or worship leading or preaching, but maybe there's some things that you can leverage in God's kingdom that you are really good at. And that's all I would ask from you. That's, that's the challenge. Think about, reflect, what am I good at? And then begin to leverage that. If you don't know, ask somebody. This was never more true. And I just fully believe this after this conversation. Uh, Lindsay and I were in Tulsa, Oklahoma a couple months ago. And we were down there learning from a church and hanging out with our pastors and seeing how they do ministry and trying to gain ideas and fresh perspective on our church and what God's doing here. And we were there and we had a dinner schedule with a couple. And I was trying to figure out before uh, we met with them, like, what does he do at the church? I just was not clear on it. And so we went out to dinner with them and they were incredible. The conversation was rich. The food was really great. Uh, my first clue should have been, he picked me up in his brand new Tesla and uh, everything was like brand new looking. I was like, I don't wanna like move too much. Like my jeans, my, st my fake jeans, may like stain his Tesla backseat. He picked us up in the Tesla, we go out to dinner. It was incredible. We started talking for a couple hours and really, really rich conversation. He was telling us about the church. He was saying about their mission and what God was doing through them. He kind of told us their backstory of how they met and how they ended up at the church. And finally I was like, so Jared, what, like, what do you do at the church? He's like, oh, I don't work at the church. I was like, what? He's like, no, I'm a volunteer. And I was like, really? 
He said, yeah, a couple, a couple years ago, I really wrestled with whether I should be a minister or not, whether I should pursue kind of a pastoral track for my life, if that should be something I do full-time as my vocation. And I went back and forth. He said, I had some really good people around me say, Jared, what are you good at? And Jared was really good at building homes. Jared owns a massive uh, property, landscaping, realty firm. It's big in Tulsa, Oklahoma, called Six Day Properties. And all the homes they build are like 500,000 or more. I mean, they're big Oklahoma ranch style homes. They're beautiful, they're pristine. There's so many things about them. We have a couple pictures just to show you what it actually, some of those homes look like. They're gorgeous. And, and he, he showed me this, these pictures and kind of mentioned the whole six day property thing. And I said, so what made you decide not to go into ministry, but to keep doing homes? design homes, build them. He's developing neighborhoods and areas of Tulsa um, that are untapped by real estate. And he said, well, I found out what I was really good at. I'm really good at designing homes and, and making money on selling houses. I'm really good at that. And I made a decision to instead of pursue ministry or full-time ministry as it might look to you, I decided I'm gonna make as much stinking money as I can at six day and I'm gonna give as much as I can to the church. I'm just gonna be incredibly generous. I'm gonna get really, really good at making a ton of money at six day properties so I can resource our church so they can continue to live out the mission so I can be part of it. And I just sat there, I was kind of floored. I was like, is that a joke? He's like, no, I'm dead serious. I wanna raise as many kingdom dollars in my lifetime as I can. And proportionally, the stuff he has is still nice. He's got a great house. He's driving a Tesla. But he is giving huge amounts of money towards this church. And so I asked the question, what are you good at? What would it mean for you to contribute? Not to say, okay, here's how I contribute on just that 30 minutes or hour on a Sunday morning, but how am I gonna contribute with my life? How am I gonna serve people? How am I gonna set myself aside? Because it's in that that you find who you really are. It's in that kind of life that you experience what Paul is talking about. Verse 16, that from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Ligaments are important. You are a ligament. I'm the ligament. We grow and we build ourselves up in love so every person can do their part. Whether it's Byron Days, 4GR Picnic later this afternoon, uh, you're going to hear in a few minutes about an opportunity to serve at our partner school, Oriole Park, in a couple of weeks. Whether it's any of those things, what are you good at and how do you leverage those? God's kingdom because it's in that you will find who you really are. I'd love to pray for you. Jesus, I thank you. And yet I'm caused to, to, to stop and to pause when I realize that what, how much is at stake in this conversation. That if we choose to pursue a me-focused faith instead of a we-focused faith, it's going to be short-lived. But God, instead, if you, by your Holy Spirit, will give us the grace and the power, we can have a life and a faith that lasts. That when we focus on the we before we do just me, we find who we really are. So God, I thank you for this word to us. I thank you for what you're doing among us. Thank you for those of us who as disciples of Jesus have found this reality so 
pray that you get glory and honor from us. As we served this past weekend, as we served this afternoon, as we served in a couple weeks, we pray that you would get the maximum amount of praise and honor and recognition from our lives. In Jesus' name.